You're listening to After the Encore, the music podcast that explores what happens after the music fades, what happens after the encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on this special B-side edition of the podcast, I speak to Fort Worth-based rock band Dead Vinyl. These guys I've known for quite a long time. Um, We used to run in the same social circles. We've hung out. I've been to a ton of their concerts. But what I'm really interested in speaking with them today was how they came together to form this current iteration of the band. They've been in a lot of different bands, but Dead Vinyl is a group that really feels on the upward trajectory of a lot of things. So they're music is incredible they were getting a lot of notoriety before 2020 shut the world down but i think dead vinyl you're going to see attached to a lot of badass projects here in the very near future and i wanted to get them uh, to be part of volume one the stars at night the texas themed volume it didn't quite work out but when i got the opportunity to record with them i didn't want to wait for another volume i wanted to get them in on a b-sides track of the podcast because i felt it was that important We get into a lot of really fun conversations, and I think you're definitely going to enjoy it. So stick around. My conversation with Dead Vinyl will be right up after this. You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I am here with Dead Vinyl. It is the first time I've done three on one. Ooh, that sounded bad. I'm used to doing one on one. You know what? I'm just going to say I'm excited to have you guys here. How are y'all doing? So good, man. Yeah, we're happy to be here. (laughs) All right, so we are here. We've got Hayden, we've got Parker, and we've got Zach. And I'm excited because the... The origins of this band are so cool to me and still a little fresh. Um, I remember all three of you in various iterations of different groups. Uh, Eight years ago, four years ago, six years ago, however long. I've had kids since then, so I can barely remember everything. So I had to do a deep dive in notes to refresh my memory. But I'm super excited. So... In this podcast, you know, we want to know what happens after the show ends, what happens after the encore, and we really want to get down to the crux and the understanding of what music built into your DNA and our marrow as a society means. And so to to kick this off, I'd love to know from each of you, and maybe we'll start with Parker, what does music mean to you? Man, that's a that's a <laughs> just heavy the big question, question. right? Let's just right. start off. Um, I think music is like a, it's one of the the greatest languages ever because people from all over the world can def, can communicate. Um, I think that it's a a conduit to mass amounts of change, for good or for worse, um, as as all art is, and I think that it's a, a 
part of that art's duty to to make some kind of message or to evoke some kind of feeling. So, you know, as artists, I feel like that's uh, we get a lot out of that as much as we put into it. Definitely. And Zach, how about you? Uh, well, <laughs> I actually read something <laughs> recently that kind of like messed with me a little bit, but it said uh, like music is a form of art. And what I uh, read basically said, like, art is how you decorate space and music is how you decorate time, which that's uh, so good. there are a few different ways yeah. that you can decorate time with music. I feel like like whether that's just playing it in a space to create a certain vibe or like writing a song for an era to like kind of tell a story that lasts forever, which there are a lot of really great songs that do that. And that's one of my favorite things about music really is a. Uh, it can communicate a feeling or emotion or story in a way that nothing else really can. Like time stamp the whole yeah. area you're in well, in yeah. life. Not only as an individual, but as like the world that is around you for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I was I was listening to uh, some Bob Dylan the other day, and his song. You know, of course, times they are changing came on right, and it's it's you know it's always good right. There's always a perfect time for it right. But then I find myself listening to the individual lyrics of the song and going, "Holy shit, um, did he write this today?" Because that's what it feels like, <laughs> and it's so it's so interesting how cyclical this stuff is and how it ebbs and flows. And I think when we engage with music and we interact with it and we marinate with it and we let it wash over us, we find that we have something to give to music and then it rebounds back at us what exactly what we need, regardless of whether that was the individual writer's intent or not. And that's what's so interesting and so wonderful to me when I think about right. this yeah. fantastic art that we call yeah. music. Absolutely, man. That's a, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think of music as a fine wine, and I'm constantly savoring every last drop of it. And, right. and it also and, gets yeah. better with age, you know. Right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, let's let's do this. Let's start winding the clock back a bit, back to the early days. And I'd love to know, uh, Hayden. Let's start with you. When what were some of your first forays into music? Uh, did you grow up in a musical household? What were what were those early days like for you? Uh, I started, uh, I, I've always been interested in it. My grandfather is Bert Rivera. He's the uh, steel guitar player for Hank Thompson. Has been since the 60s. So I've always grown up around those gigs and uh, Western swing music when I was a child. Yeah. Uh, and then learned how to play guitar when I was nine. Uh, took lessons and then started doing bands, you know, like just kind of the normal progression of like a very musical sure. family, you know, always had I like, like that. So, parents pushing that and stuff for sure. Yeah. I love that. So you've got this kind of early exposure to this whole musical journey and life. And it's something that you're oh, familiar yeah. with from a very Your grandfather yeah. is the guy who made it, who made a successful living off of music and you go, Oh, that's a totally viable living. And then later <laughs> people will tell you, you aren't going to make a fucking dime. <laughs> sorry. Can I say fuck? I'm sorry. Oh yes. Okay, I've been cool. cussing. So we're good. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, but like, like later people tell you, you know, you don't make a whole lot of money off of it. But I'm like, I grew up with a guy that made money off of it. It can't be that hard. He's my grandpa, you know. Like, <laughs> right. yeah. Or so we thought. Or so we thought. And here yeah, we right, are. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. I love it. So, so you know, Parker, 
tell me about some of your some of your earliest dabbles with music. So knowing that you play the drums for Dead Vinyl was was the rhythm section always calling you, I guess, maybe as a way to say it, or was it something that you discovered a little bit later once you started interacting with music? I, I think I've always had some form of wanting, like, I, I don't remember a time when I didn't want a drum. So right. that's, I think I remember like playing on the car, like, you know, while we were listening to music and I don't have a time that I, that I haven't ever wanted to be the drummer of a band. Although I remember like, you know, practicing my like in sync dance moves whenever I like in the mirror, you know, all that kind of stuff. I was ready for if somebody was going to call me on stage to perform, <laughs> you know, my, my mom says that she had me on like when I was four years old, she had me on a, on stage singing, take me out to the ball game. Like that was my oh, first awesome. musical performance. Classic. <laughs> Classic. She ran a dance studio and my dad's a piano technician. So uh, like she was tap dancing and teaching dance classes like while I was still in the womb. So I feel like that's probably why I'm a drummer is because the rhythm is just, you know, bouncing in me. So, yeah, you know, honestly, that's a good point because so we know that from a scientific aspect, we know that we sing to our children, we read to them, we play the music, we interact with them while they're in the womb because it's formative and, and they're developing and the brain, it takes in what it needs to take in. And so I think about that, you know, it's an interesting point that you bring up. So my son, who's three, we took him, we were fortunate enough to get to go to a house concert when he was an itty bitty baby. And we brought him with us because he would sleep and he was very peaceful and calm. And uh, Brad Thompson, who's been on the show before, was playing this, this awesome house concert. And it was so musical. My son woke up to pay attention and he watched and he just soaked it all in. And fast forward, we didn't think anything of it. We just thought, oh, we like music. This is cool. But then we fast forward three years and he has been obsessed with take me out to the ball game. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> but just bringing it back around. But he, he's obsessed with these these videos. So we started doing uh, this online video class called Prodigies, which is very pretentious sounding. But it te it's a mixture of Guitar Hero and Blues Clues, and it teaches kids perfect pitch and chord progressions. And, you know, you follow along with the keys on the piano. And we have a piano in our room. And I have a video of him playing his chords with his three-year-old fingers perfectly. And he goes to it every day. And he'll watch an entire lesson, not interact with it, and go and plink it out on the keyboard, like, as perfect as a three-year-old can. And so I say all of that to say that when kids are formative and they're small, what lessons that we expose them to from a musical and dance and et cetera nature gets imprinted on them and then we find out later what shape and what form that takes so i absolutely love that story i was totally like a like my mom would play like mozart like tapes while i went to bed or like <laughs> it, like native american drum music you know that was all like like super meditative and stuff like, right, the, right. like that's what i would fall asleep to so yeah i probably can attest to that being something that keeps you <laughs> right definitely zach how about you so knowing that you play bass and dead vinyl, right? But you also play uh, guitar on some of the songs, or am I misremembering that? No, it's pretty much just bass. Uh, just bass, okay. Yeah. And backup vocals. And backup vocals. Backup vocals. Okay, there we go. So how? what were some of your first uh, exposures and forays into music as a young, as a young lad? That's a good question. Uh, my mom was like, she was raised like learning the piano, like kind of classically, and then ended up playing like a lot of uh, show tunes. And that was her thing when I was growing up was she was really into theater and still is. She still does a lot of local theater stuff. 
uh, but wonderful she's, place. Yes, wonderful. She, she's incredibly talented and uh, and beautiful and just like a really awesome actress. But uh, like I grew up going to see her perform, and that was like kind of my first intro into music, like which is you know music telling a story, obviously. So <laughs> there was that, but it's a very different. And, like, my dad's favorite kind of music, like, my dad's totally tone deaf, and he'll admit it, so, uh, <laughs> but his favorite kind of music is uh, U2, so he listened to a whole lot of U2, and my mom listened to a lot of show tunes, Mister Tucker. and somehow I ended up liking rock and roll, and not any of those things, I mean, I do like those things, but just not, you know, I'm not passionate about them like my parents are. And Not so like rock and roll. They got me into band in middle school, and I played trombone, and that was like how I started with bass tones and stuff, and then sure. eventually ended up getting a bass guitar, uh, really because it sounded easier at the time. I was like, oh, only four strings. Yeah, how I can learn that easy. You got your first bass? I was 14. <laughs> okay. 14? Yeah. Awesome. So it took me a while to actually, like, I don't know, get into playing rock and roll, but I listened to it for a long time before that. And then uh, tried to start a band for a long time, and it didn't really work out. <laughs> I love I love the individual stories, right? So you've got someone who grew up getting to see a a model or a proof of concept for how an individual makes money in the industry. Not that everybody does, just an individual, one person can make a living in the music industry. But then you have this other story about getting exposed to rhythms and movement and drums, and then you have this you know, exposure to storytelling of music and then getting involved with some bass tones. And then, so there's this, there's this interesting journey, I think with any band, there's lots of journeys and stories about how people come to their various parts, but it's interesting that you've got sort of these very three separate stories that weave perfectly into the larger collective. And I'm, I'm really interested to kind of start digging into, into the groups and and I want to I want to pause for a moment and really think about the fact that you know for me so I'll say this not having interacted with the three so for, for the listeners full disclosure I do know these fellows quite well or I would I like to think quite well we, there's been a few house parties that we've all been together at right. absolutely we've all been to Mayweed <laughs> <laughs> um and so when I I hadn't heard of dead vinyl for a little bit and then when i dug in a couple years ago and started immersing with the music and listening i stepped back and i went "Ooh, this feels like it's it like selfishly not that the other groups weren't but i feel like this is somehow a little bit of a different step and a little bit more um selfishly it's more of the music i love that kind of (laughs) rock so for me i was like "Ooh, this is the fucking shit this is awesome cool we're locking into something much different here yeah yeah so i'm I'm interested to to dig into how we how we get there, right? And so I love that, you know, there's a lot of different stories in here. And I think I want to start before we're kind of ramping up this segment and go, you know, so I'm going to take a step back and go, I know that the three of you uh, had some early forays with some early bands kind of in and right out of high school. So what was the drive? Let's Let's do it this way. What was the drive to form a band? at the towards the end of high school and right after what was some of the motivations for it um that that made you go yeah this is this is what i want to do this is the logical next step for me uh let's start with you zach oh me okay uh (laughs) well when i was first learning to play uh 
Well, I was raised in a Christian family, and so uh, my parents were very heavily involved in the church. They actually ran the youth group. The church. And, uh, and so I was playing in the worship group. Like, they needed a okay. bass player, and I was just learning to play. So I was like, okay, you know, this is a G, and I just keep playing that until we get to this word, and that's a C. All right, and that's right here. I got this. <laughs> and that was how I learned to play. And then, like, once I had it down, I would just, like, mess around. And then eventually I was like, I want to play something else, you know? Right. I was like, I want to do this, but I want to write the music. Yeah. <laughs> and then, right. um, yeah. so then I tried to get my friends to start a band and, and that was actually in high school when I first started, uh, I was kind of getting into, uh, like guitar hero and rock band and playing those some more. And I was like, this would be so cool to actually do. Like, I know how to do this. And I know some of my friends do, so I'm going to get them together and we're going to do this thing. And I tried to, like, force a bunch of my friends into band practices and none of those went well. <laughs> they were all terrible. And, like, my family's really talented and so I tried to get them to do it, but I couldn't, like, get them to commit. Like, my sister's a really good singer and my brother was learning Wonderful drums singer. at the time. And he was, like, like naturally just crazy good at drums, like, better than I'll ever be, which Your sucks, brother played but... drums? Yeah. No oh, way. He's a beast. Man. That's incredible. <laughs> I wish you could have heard him practice. I'd have him. He would just rock the whole house. Like, it was so cool. Uh, I love that. But I couldn't get him to be in a band with me. We were very different people. <laughs> so, <laughs> no shit. Uh, so it didn't really work out for me till later. But I don't know. I just, uh, I knew that was what I wanted yeah. to do. It seemed so fun and cool. That's and, that's interesting. That's a good point about, about you know, getting getting the exposure to a band like environment or a, you know a band group and with regular rehearsals regular practice regular performances right so i mean you think about even a church you've got weekly practices weekly rehearsals and then weekly performances and that's consistently ongoing um for as long as you're in the the church band and so i think that kind of gives a good foundation of like okay so this is kind of a schedule and a layout for how one uh, continues to practice and evolve and learn new songs in a band. It's really interesting. Parker, how about you? What was uh, some of the motivation for you to form? I don't know. I think about a, a drummer, a singer, and Hayden, I know you played drums and sang for a little bit as well, and we'll dig into that. But every time I think of drummers, I, I immediately go to Jesse and the Rippers from uh, Full House, and perhaps that's <laughs> that's dating myself a bit. But um, Parker, they rock, dude. They rock. <laughs> Have mercy. That's what it was. Yeah. Have mercy. Have mercy. <laughs> uh, awesome. Yeah. Full house, man. All right. Bring I it back. A mixture of, if I could be a mixture <laughs> of Uncle Jesse and... Uh, Uncle Jesse. And the other one, I would be happy. The yeah. other Uncle one. Joey. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Joey. 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 There I'd we like go. to think I'm a mixture of Jesse and no. Joey. And know. a little bit of the Olsen twins. Olsen. Sorry. What was this? Back to on track. <laughs> No, I was just wondering some of the early some of the earliest motivations for you to want to be in a band. Oh, okay. Well, phrased like that, I I played with the Mondo drummers, like learning drums from like uh, middle school on. So that's kind of why okay. I was in the same kind of ethos of gigging, like you just brought up, which I thought was a, mm -hmm. a really good point of just early on knowing how every single week you have to kind of dedicate a certain amount of time to grow and and like really attribute to the art itself. But I, I, when I was growing up, it was kind of similar to Hayden. My dad gigged in a bluegrass band, and it was 
It was one of his favorite bands growing up, and then they needed a replacement bass player, and he just somehow kind of jumped on board and toured Europe and Canada. And so I, <laughs> and then my brother played in a punk rock band, and they opened for the Toadies. And my dad always oh, like had these. Yeah. He always had these like <laughs> stories of like of like you know him them packing out the club and the club owner freaking out and shutting off the breakers, you know, and like just stuff like that. <laughs> so there was always this uh, uh, self, like kind of selfishly, I was like, I'm gonna top that. Like my thought was, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna have those stories. If yeah. I don't get at least that far, like you know, I, you know, or farther, like that's what I'm gonna do, you know. And Fuck and yeah. they've always been really, you know, into that. Like my brother and my dad both definitely understand like what I'm trying to do. Um, right. So that was kind of like that's probably always been the the back you know of the brain driving to <laughs> to absolutely. play music you know in general. <laughs> You've seen it since that. day one, so yeah. it's like absolutely what's going to happen. Right, like, exactly. I can do that. Yeah, is that yeah. yeah? It was a model. Yeah, yeah, absolutely and following that. the model. How about you? So I know, like, as we're ending this segment, tee us up for the for the next one, and let's 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 get down with the yeah, first you, for just a Here's second. Here's how it started. Wait, it went well, down. Let, let him finish. finish. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. Let's get down with the Frisky Disco, and let's talk about perhaps even the Guppies before the Frisky Disco. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. Walk guppies, through those so iterations. The man's yeah. No, it's, I I I got this 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 whole thing. It's like. You're in these odd bands in high school. I, I was fortunate enough to go to a high school of like a, one bajillion people, I think, was the cap on the building. <laughs> it's a scientific, um, yeah, that's the, that's the real data it point. It was yep. huge. It was bajillion. a huge high school. A metric and bajillion. so you can kind of find all these weirdos and like all these really good musicians. And I happened to, I was in, you know, metal bands and weird punk pop bands, stuff like that. And nothing that lasted more than two or three practices. But then I finally found. Nolan Robertson, who you know from yes. the Hendersons, uh, and like a couple of his buddies, and we kind of like formed friends, and through that formed the Guppies and a band called the Holy Mothership, which I drummed for. Yes. Uh, and then um, I was a drummer for a long time because that's really the way to make music uh, <laughs> and have a job. Parker knows this. Everybody always needs a drummer. Everybody yeah. needs Parker a drummer. Knows this. <laughs> Everybody needs a drummer. And so that was my fucking game in high school. Uh, and then after the Guppies kind of died and the Holy Mothership kind of went on to do some bigger and better things, um, Tyler and I, who was the previous guitar player for the Guppies, I was driving in a car with him one day and I put on the White Stripes uh, and the song and was A Ball and a Biscuit. Yeah. <laughs> Ball and a Biscuit, which he just played on Saturday Night Live. So you know. Yes, that's right. Yes. Um, that's wild. Same song. I played it for him in like 2006. We're driving in my fucking POS Blazer. <laughs> and he'd never heard this band before. And it just like melted his brain. He was like, Oof. he was like, he asked me, everybody's like, how many people are in this band? I was like, two. <laughs> two, two, dude. People. That's it. And he was like, we could do this. <laughs> I was like, okay. Okay. <laughs> and so after that day I think that's when kind of like the frisky disco was born and we I was drumming and singing and he was playing guitar and it started out as this kind of garage band junkyard kind of like rock and roll blues thing um and we had our buddy later on Johnny who joined yes. us on the bass we moved out of our parents house got Johnny joined us on the bass now we're a three piece uh and we start getting a couple gigs and this is when you can kind of help me with this story. We get a gig one night at a place called the Moon Bar. 
which was at the time over on Berry Street, and it, oh, yeah. then f- for a time moved over on the other down, side of Berry Street. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we get a gig with a band that we've never heard of because we're a very fledgling band. We haven't heard of a lot of these bands, but we're at the Moon Bar. We've played it a couple times, and there's this band called Panic Volcanic mm. <laughs> on the bill that night. And we're like, ah, oh, that's a fucking cool name, you know? Like, and we, I think we opened. No way, no, we played first. Did you play first? Definitely, yeah. We okay. opened. You opened? Yeah. Okay, so they opened and they played a cover at the very end of their set of Cut Like a Buffalo. Yeah. Another <laughs> Jack White tune, of course. Like, and Tyler and I and Johnny are just like screaming on the front row at this guy who we don't know yet. You know? Yeah, I watched them just yelling the lyrics at us. I'm like, yeah, they know this song. Is up there just doing her thing, you know, just like just being a wild woman and Cole's in the back just giving it everything he's got. He's all over the place. And it's, it's just he like, always has. I haven't been to, like we hadn't been in Fort Worth long. And then here's this band that we saw that was just so explosive. And we were like, that oh shit boys we got work to do like <laughs> they're just a bass player and a drummer and a singer like <laughs> we have way more instruments than them and we're losing how are we losing, <laughs> losing. <laughs> that's but not anyway, how it works yeah. but that's that was kind of like our intro into all that stuff and that was how we became friends they invited us to a party they were throwing that night yeah <laughs> yeah at our house after the show we and were then like we you guys are party. cool <laughs> You guys want to hang out? Cool, cool, yeah, cool. Right, man, yeah. Come, to, come, come <laughs> over, man. I remember that night we did a song called Lawbreakers where uh, yeah. at the time it was just uh, Tyler would put the guitar down and, 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 and he'd go back behind the drum kit and I'd get up from behind the drum kit and start grabbing a giant pair of chains. And I'd lift <laughs> them up and I'd chains. drop them. And I'd lift them up and I'd drop them in this beat and Tyler would just hit the kit. Boom, boom. Boom, shling, boom, shling, boom, shling, boom. And it was like this <laughs> creepy noise. And then I would just shout this like crazy song yeah, called He came off of the stage. Off no the microphone. Stage, yeah. And just, I came up to Chris Cole. <laughs> just yelled it at us in the crowd. I just dropped this chain right on his foot. And he goes, <laughs> I think you broke my toe. <laughs> but I wasn't mad about it. <laughs> I wasn't mad about it. I was like, I was so into it. I was like, yes. I love it. That's, That's the so energy awesome. you want to make in a show is like, yeah, that raw energy when we were young that was so fun. Yeah. That's good. And for those who, who are listening, Ansley has been on the show before. So if you want to hear her version of that story and some other Panic Volcanic stories, you can go check it out. Uh, I'm your host, Joe Shaw. This is After the Encore, and we'll be right back after this.
Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. I'm here with Dead Vinyl. We talked about the Frisky Disco. I'd love to dive into Yuffie. Oh! Yeah. Let's talk about Yuffie yeah. for a little bit. Oh, the one that don't go. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It didn't go. Remember? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. But let's talk about the animal spirit, the panic volcanic, and the frisky disco of it all. And we talked about the panic and the disco uh, getting in sync in the last last little bit. So I'd love to know where... So from my outside perspective, I feel like animal spirit came along a little bit later in the, in the juncture, at least with my understanding. And I know that the probably necessarily wasn't true because there's a whole other like life where I don't exist and I'm not aware of things because I'm not all knowing. But I'd love to, Parker, let's start with you and talk about some of the early formations of Animal Spirit, how you fit into that lineup. And then um, what were some of your memories like joining up with uh, both of these guys? Okay. Yeah, that's a cool, that's a fun story because like all of our bands and lives have been so intertwined the last eight years that it's, right. it's, it's really cool. So I'd love to talk about that. <laughs> Animal Spirit was, was just like um, a project. I met Andrew at um, Panther City Coffee, which is, um, which was there right next to TCU across from Fuzzies, which yep. was in the same building as The Cellar, which was a like a oh. bar and venue oh, that seller. they had a, a couple right. of different open mics. Here's a list of places and... that don't exist anymore. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it's all parking lots. Yeah, now. Wow. exactly. It's so weird. Um, so the I met Andrew paradise. through friends, through um, just like mutual friends. And uh, he had just stopped playing drums in a different band and was learning to play guitar and had written a couple of different songs that were just really cool and started to play them by himself. And, um, uh, his girlfriend at the time, Sam, she uh, started like singing with him at like open mics, and uh, then his girlfriend at the time, his then girlfriend now wife, now wife, now, wife. <laughs> now, wife. Right. now mother of his children. I said that, and I was like, I don't know how to back out of yeah. this. Uh, <laughs> what was the coffee it. shop they played at? It's called time? Panther City. Coffee. No, the one that was right by Cellar. I thought that was that called was Pan- Stay that Wired. Was Pan- oh, Stay Wired. Well, Stay okay, Wired. It started as Panther City, and then it got bought out and was. And it became, became Stay a Wired. place called Stay Wired, yes, where gotcha. Andrew started. Factually, from. yes, that's Factually, right. Yeah. yeah, Stay Wired was what it was called for a long time. But uh, <laughs> so we we played a bunch, and then we needed a bass player, and Andrew knew uh, Joe Canariato, um, and so we all became just friends through starting to jam together. Uh, and he knew about, Joe knew about the cellar and the open mics and the jams there. So we were just going to always frequent that. I lived in Weatherford at the time. So I was just kind of always looking for a reason to come and find live music. Cause there was just nothing out there that suited my sure. taste for rock and roll. Um, and so we played a lot and we started to just to gig and, and I don't even, I didn't book any of the shows at the time. Andrew always handled that. And so one day we were just on a bill with, um, Panic Volcanic at the cellar. And, um, mm-hmm. we just like really hit it off. Um, I'm not even sure if we like saw your set at the <laughs> either, like outside just doing, you know, stuff, smoking just weed, bad out. kid stuff, I guess. Um, <laughs> stuff. I we just weren't there for some reason, but <laughs> for um, some reason we loved, like everybody loved it. And, and we just kind of ended up being on multiple shows with the Frisky Disco and, and Panic Volcanic. And yeah. we just kind of became really good friends. And then the house that I moved into in Fort Worth that became like the, the jam space for Animal Spirit was actually less than a block away from 
the Frisky Disco House where Hayden and Tyler lived with Johnny. And so <laughs> we just kind of happened to stumble across that um, at a bar one night. Yeah. And then we became really good friends instantly and just would... Uh, we'd go over there and party and share records, and we'd come back over to our house. and yeah. So it would it just kind of formed a bond like that, and then out of that we started playing more shows together or just kind of always being friends. And then... When the uh, band you love lives a block away, it just becomes really easy to just walk over and have a beer and, like, hang out and start exactly. talking music. You know, exactly. really you, know, you know what it reminds me of, this this whole dialogue with all three of y'all talking about seeing each other's shows and intersecting and, and chatting? It reminds me of a lot of stories from the 60s and 70s when you had the, like, rock and roll and you had the songwriter era and you had people, like, bunking up and sharing spaces and really collaborating and just putting on fantastic joint ventures and you what I finding and and the through line through this is that I feel like we're on the verge of a, a songwriter musical renaissance where you're starting to see that again and I feel that in a lot of ways great art is born out of strife and so 60s and 70s what did we have there was a lot of strife right the civil rights movement you had vietnam you had kennedy assassination you had so much going on in the world at large and now what do we have going on so much additional strife that's just been built upon what we've seen 40 50 60 years ago i it's late at night. I, my math brain is turned off. I'm going <laughs> okay. back to the bajillion style of counting. But I say all of that to say that I think there's been a bit of a drought with a lot of creativity in the songwriter space and especially in the like gritty rock and roll blues space, in my opinion. I'm just one person, but this is my show, so it's my opinion. And so we have now people writing about what they're feeling because of what they're experiencing and what they're going through. And you're getting this fantastic set of music coming out. And then you're finding other people that have similar thoughts and feelings and desires like you. And then you're collaborating and making this incredible work of art. And so I love hearing about these early stories of interaction and hanging out and playing because it's formed the crux of what is so crucial to the group now. And so let's, let's, let's dive in a little bit more, uh, you know, Zach, I'd love to hear about Panic Volcanic. I know Panic Volcanic went on quite a while before getting, you know, disbanding. And so I'd love to know from your perspective, how did some of the lessons that you learned in Panic help inform the style that you brought to Dead Vinyl? Well, <laughs> Panic Volcanic was really kind of the first band that I was in that I felt like actually kind of like started going places or actually doing things. Uh, Right. I was in like I was in a band before that in high school called The Human Eating Machines and our uh that band fell apart because our guitar player was kind of not like the easiest person to get along with. And I continued to hang out with him and formed a two piece group called Spartacus that was just me on the bass Badass. distorted and singing and then him playing drums. And that didn't last very long because like I said, he's a hard guy to get along with. But uh Ansley heard that music because her and I were dating at the time and was like, Okay, this is really cool. We should do this and I'll be the singer and we'll get somebody else to play drums and just do the bass. Don't do anything else. And I was like, all right, well, yeah, I could totally do that. And so I started like learning how to tap and stuff like that. And like 
that was really me like finally getting to do whatever the heck I want in a band. Like at that point I could just write anything, even if it was super weird. And there were a few things that I was just like, this is as weird as I can make it. Now let's see what they think. And then they were like, this is really cool. Let's do it. And I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) We'll figure it out. Yeah. And so that was how that band got created. And then, uh, I don't know. It kind of taught me, I guess, how to, uh, trust my instincts a little bit when it comes to improvising or making something weird. Uh, Yeah. And so when I got to finally be in other bands after that, like uh, uh, like when I joined the Frisky Disco, I was playing drums, so I didn't really get a chance to do that as much. I was learning a new (laughs) instrument. And we so, stuck you on drums like that was a lot of fun. crazy person. No, you didn't stick me on drums. I was like, put me on drums. And I like <laughs> went and learned all your songs on drums so I could be in your band. <laughs> and then, That was actually pretty <laughs> hilarious. Pretty cool. And then it worked. Uh, and then so later when I finally got to play bass with all the guys, like I finally got to bring in that role of like, uh, you know, I get to introduce something weird. I can write a riff and be like, hey, what do you guys think of this? And then... Tyler and Hayden had already already so much experience writing music together that they would be like, well, what if we did it this way, you know? And so, like, that was kind of a new thing for me, but I feel like being in Panic Volcanic gave me a little bit more confidence with songwriting and riff writing in general, and then just being on stage in front of people, because <laughs> I had a right. trouble, like, I had trouble looking out into the crowd, but, like, because I was writing all the music, at the at the beginning at least, for Panic Volcanic, I feel like I could get into it more easier and it was like a little bit more authentic. So I didn't yeah. worry as much about what people were going to think about it. It was just kind of like, I'm just going to do my thing, you know? Yeah. And then now yeah. I've finally, I feel like I've learned how to do that in any setting, you know, like animal spirit was very different from panic volcanic, obviously. And, uh, I'm really glad I got to be in that band too. Cause that taught me a lot about playing in a, a more reserved style, <laughs> <laughs> but also yeah. in front of a bunch of people. Well, yeah, too. that too. <laughs> yeah. Right. Now that's super awesome. Hayden, walk me through your origins of your songwriting style from Frisky Disco and carrying that over into Dead Vinyl. Uh, a lot of the songwriting with Frisky Disco was me and Tyler. We've lived, sure. we had lived together for 10 years. And so constant access and talking and drinking and smoking and being best friends, you know, and just being like, all right, like, like obsessing over certain types of music. We got into R and B, we got into rock and roll. We got into all these things. And that all gets reflected through like the frisky discovers writing, you know, like it's all, you can almost timestamp if you took a frisky disco song and I could tell you what band we were ripping off at the time. You know? <laughs> What 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 we were listening? It's like, oh yeah, this is our Doors phase. This is when we were into the Doors, you know. Like, and a lot of that is, I mean, that's that's all of music, you know. Like music is all about yeah. taking what you love and interpreting it, and like trying to make it into your own. And that's what the Frisky Disco was for us was like having these genres of music that we love and admire so much in our first delve into like dipping into it and really trying to do it justice. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, and then Frisky Disco broke up, and um, I kind of went off and did, like, some other bands and stuff. And Tucker went and did started Dead Vinyl with Tyler. Mm-hmm. That was what Tyler did. Tyler kind of broke off. And he and I, as songwriters, we had worked together for, like, 
eight plus years at this point, and we decided we just needed some space, you know, to write songs sure. by ourselves, you know, yeah, and not rely <laughs> on each other. He needed to not rely on me for lyrics. I needed to not rely on him for for melodies and things like that. And we both learned a lot in that growing period. And there was this, like, I don't know, I guess a year period where Tucker was in dead vinyl at the time with... I, I'm doing air quotes <laughs> for the podcast. Right, Dead of vinyl, yes. <laughs> at the time with Tucker and Tyler, they were kind of writing together. Tucker, for the first time on bass... And with like Tyler, yeah. with Tyler and like writing and stuff like that, and you guys had Val. Yeah, we had our friend yes, Val Mir on the drums. Yeah, and you had a slew of uh, frontmen, several leads front guys. women. Yeah. Even there was yeah, we had Ansley one time. Ansley one time tried and out a couple other Lauren Moore one yeah, time. Did that it. was awesome. Yeah, sang some Led Zeppelin songs with us. All other people from our friend group. All the other people. <laughs> right. They all right. tried out a bunch of lead singers, and then finally Tyler just kind of. Uh, <laughs> Over a shot of whiskey one day was just like fuck. Let's just get Hayden. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically how it happens. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, well, let's just get Hayden. He he, he, he can do it. Hayden. And we were like, yeah, you're right. You know? And after that point, right. like I said, like Tyler and I had spent like a year away so- from songwriting with each other, and we had both grown so much as musicians on our own, songwriting wise and technically like skilled wise. We had both grown very much. And so coming back together felt like a reunion, but it also felt like this rebirth of like our mm. musicianship with Tucker on the bass now, which added this whole new element to the band that really seemed to just like, it was so good. And I was like, oh, this is the songwriting we waited for. I was like, these two just write the songs. I'll write the lyrics over them. You know, <laughs> like, you right. guys got the right. fucking riffs. Like, what right. am I trying to write riffs for? Like, you guys have this. And so that's kind of how a lot of the first dead vinyl songs were born, was, like, you guys writing these songs, and then I would just kind of... Well, that was then, and then fast forward to this last year, where you wrote two albums by yourself in the span oh, of a yeah. couple months. Wow. Like, quarantine will do a weird <laughs> thing. And we'll get there. And we'll get there, for sure. And just for clarity for those who are listening, Tucker is Zach Tucker, who I've been referring to as Zach. So do you prefer Tucker? Do you prefer Zach? And, oh, I, keep going with Zach. <laughs> yeah. You can go Zach. Hey, I just call him Tucker. I'm. Oh, it's all good. I just wanted to clarify. So for the 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 person that's like, who's Tucker? Did I miss something? Right. I need to rewind. <laughs> no, no, no. It's the same person we've been listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that this is what's interesting to me, and I'll I'll project my own life experience for a, for a, a moment. I find or found out of high school, through college, outside of college, that whole twenties period and era. Uh, late teens through 20s, there was a lot of big artistic ideas that I had and a lot of great enthusiasm for projects. But I didn't find until I'd gone through several that failed miserably and some that had a modicum of success that I felt that I finally found my artistic venture. And I'm using podcasts as, as my extension of my artistic venture to where I feel like I've hit my strive and my groove. And it's because I'm drawing on all of these lessons and experiences that I had and understanding that enthusiasm and passion is fantastic, but I needed to temper it with the realistic expectations of what I need to do in order to be right. successful. And so I'm curious how these experiences we've talked about in these former groups um, 
forming, disbanding, forming, disbanding, etc., helped shape the approach you bring to dead vinyl. And, uh, you know, let's just go, Parker, let's start with you. How did that shape your mentality for what you bring, what you ended up bringing to dead vinyl when you joined? Cause you were the last, last edition to the group or next to last edition. The last, yeah, the last, last edition. Right. Okay. The most, or the most recent. The most, <laughs> most recent. Most recent. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. No, no way. No, um, I'll put it, I'll, it's like, it's a lot like, I've always had a car, like ever since I was 16, I've always had a car, and since I decided to be a drummer, I knew that I was always going to have to have a car that could fit all of my drums in order to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of a metaphor for like, I think how I've always approached music or what my position has always ended up being in the band is that as the, you know, the tempo keeper, I'm also like the driver. And so whenever we were touring, I was always the main guy driving cause it was my car and I wanted to make sure everything was cool. Um, and then when I entered dead vinyl, um, you know, I was at a place where I like really, you know, was wanting to go as far as I possibly could with the band. And I saw the guys were doing some really great things, but, um, you know, their drummer couldn't fully commit. And I thought that with a little bit extra push and with a little bit more business savvy, like, approaches, we could we could yeah. really, like, take it forward. And that was what I really acquired during Animal Spirit was learning how, like, who to talk to, how to shake hands, how to, like, manage a whole set of merch. Like, Dead Vinyl didn't have any merch when I first joined the band, and I was like, let's get on that, let's get moving. <laughs> so there were some things that I had learned just through how to actually make something more sustainable and how to get from point A to point B that I wanted to bring to some people who were really down to run as far as possible. And so when I found that, I was like, okay, let's do that. And so... That's kind of how I've all, that's always seemed to have been my role. Maybe I'm just like, like a control freak and that's <laughs> worked in my favor or not, I hear that. but you know, but, but in a know. band that had no control, it kind of, <laughs> right, right, right. right. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. As we're, as we're wrapping up this segment, Hayden and then Zach, let's, I want to hear from both of y'all. What was the mentality that you learned from your other ventures that you brought into dead vinyl? Uh, our other ventures. Um, you learn how to work. Being in a band is a lot like being in a family. You have to see these guys as your brothers more, which is a big reason why Dead Vinyl all moved in with each other in 2017. It was Mm -hmm. or end of 2016, maybe. We all moved into a house together, and we all kind of just became like this family. You're not only making music and trying to write music and change the world with your music, but you're also trying to pay bills and you're trying to keep food on the table and you're like all of a sudden you're this family and I think that's a real big thing with that 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 gets lost on like the band aspect of things sometimes you you got to live together and just kind of really become a unit that can do what we did and you know like that's kind of like I don't know that's that's my idea of like a band, I guess, you know, and yeah, no, that's, a good that's point. what we're I heard, the table. I heard a story. I heard a story that the roots have stayed together for so long because they make it a point to always have Sunday breakfast together. Oh, See, they, something they, like they that is so great. Yeah. Hayden would cook us like midnight nachos after practice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hayden was like the chicken the, nachos, the man. Yeah, he took care of us. I'm hungry right now. Right? And that skillet like, queso yeah. that you made. You become mm. a family, and that 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 makes your band like brothers, and then you you know yeah. like. What you bring to the group and like, and I always tell my friends, you know, it's like you're allowed to like be mad at your brothers. Like these things happen. It doesn't mean you're losing a friend. It doesn't mean you're losing a bandmate. You get mad sometimes, but like 
just like a brother, you always know you're in the same family together and you're not going to fucking part. You're just there. You're in this for the cause and you're going to make it happen, you know, Definitely. no matter what. That's awesome. Well, Zach, I want to know, since you started the group with Tyler, I would love to know what was your mentality that you brought to those first early days? And let's tee it off for the next segment when we come back. Um, well, when we were first starting the band, Tyler actually approached me and, uh, okay. I was already playing with Val in a band called Sonic Buffalo. Uh, I think for a minute there before the Frisky Disco broke up, I was playing in like four or five different bands at the same time. <sighs> yeah. You and were like, in every <laughs> band in Fort Worth. Every band needed a bass player and Zach was that and bass Zach player. Was that <laughs> bass player. <laughs> I, well, some of those bands I started too. It was just like, <laughs> I want to so make music funny. like this now. And then Sonic Buffalo. You were in every band. That was another band that I saw them play at the cellar. And then I approached their singer and was like, dude, I want to be in your band. And they'd already (laughs) seen Panic Volcanic. So they were like, all right. You said that to the door guy. They just kicked out their bass player. (laughs) And then, uh, and then, uh, so I, like, he heard our music and then he showed me this other band called Rain Wolf. And he was like, I really want to make, like, heavy blues rock music. And, like, Panic Volcanic was, like, described at that time as, like, a hard rock band. And so that was basically kind of more the sound we were going for, but a little bit more blues-influenced. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen Rain Wolf, but most of the time it's usually just one dude with an electric guitar and, like, a kick drum. And he just kind of, like, plays these gnarly-ass riffs and then wails, like, this super raspy voice while he's just keeping the beat with his foot. And we were like, okay, we can make something like like this, but on the next level, basically. And so that's what we were going for. Like, we wanted to have these gnarly blues riffs and just be, like, as raw and, like, you know, full power as possible, basically, while still, you know, being bluesy. And uh, that was really our original mission. And it's evolved a lot since then, <laughs> for sure. No kidding. <laughs> love that. I absolutely love that. Well, you're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and we'll be right back after this. Like smoke, hope you don't choke when you're baptized in the Western water. Oh, my, hopping on a ride, led by the guns of the church and the lawless kind. Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I am here with Dead Vinyl, as you are well aware of by now. And now we're actually digging into the Dead Vinyl of it all. And so we ended last segment by talking about Zach, how he got involved with the project. And so taking that to the next level. So Zach, let's talk about the first couple of shows playing with Dead Vinyl and then Hayden gave a little preview about bringing him in. So so I want your perspective on starting the shows, starting to perform, getting that kind of bluesy rock feel, and then bringing Hayden into the fold to give it that distinct sound from a vocals perspective. Okay. Well, it's a rocky journey uh, getting the all the way to Hayden. Uh, <laughs> Let's do it. 
I'm like, buckled in. So. Uh, <laughs> when we <laughs> when we first started, uh, we were actually uh, still kind of getting our sound and songs together. But uh, um, we there was a thing that goes on every year. It's still going on called the Fort Worth Rock Assembly. Uh, I don't think they're doing it this year, mm. actually. But where they get a bunch of bands to come in and play cover sets of songs, but they're typically already established local bands. Like they they pick a band and then they go cover that band's music for one set, you know, just for one night. And so uh, we weren't technically an established band, but we really wanted to play Led Zeppelin at Rock Assembly. And uh, so, um, like, we kind of knew somebody who was doing all the booking already for it. And so we. Uh, put on a secret show that was an audition for us to get into Rock Assembly, and that was our first show ever. And uh, at the time, we actually thought, or we we thought our band name was The Sweet Rides. The Sweet Rides! And, um, yeah, that and, got and, print. Yeah, un- well, no, it didn't. Well, yeah, I guess it did kind it of. Did. Yeah, it but did. unbeknownst to any of us, uh, Tyler had already printed and written on CDs that, uh, <laughs> that said the band name was Dead Vinyl. And that... Uh, <laughs> And so as we were all leaving the show, like, which was a lot of fun, we played a bunch of songs we'd written and some, Zed, like, Led Zeppelin songs with the singer from Sonic Buffalo. Uh, and the show went really well. And they were like, okay, yeah, we'll definitely have you guys play Led Zeppelin. And we were like, yes. And then, uh, um, so as everyone was leaving, Tyler handed out these CDs that was like, <laughs> You know, this is the band. We're not actually the Sweet Rides. We're Dead Final. We're like, they're all like, wait, what? <laughs> Mislabeled. <laughs> and so, exactly. so from then on, we were just like, okay, I guess we're Dead Vinyl. Like Tyler just decided that, and so Tyler made an executive. And uh, before that, before the set actually came together, of course, the band would eventually fall apart. Our singer would flake out, and then we eventually got Lauren Moore to be our singer for the Led Zeppelin set, and then. uh but we had trouble getting her to come to some practices too, as well. Uh, so, so we continued to work with different singers after that. The Led Zeppelin set was really fun, and it kind of kicked us off into playing live shows because we still didn't have right. a real singer. And uh, we played another show after that, actually, in Arlington with Ansley on lead vocals. Awesome! That was pretty fun. Cool. And uh, then uh, I don't know. It was a uh, Dead Bottle's been around, man. I don't think we really played any other shows before we got Hayden on as our vocalist. Here's a question that I'm interested in wanting to know the answer for. Why not? Because we've established, right, that that y'all have been in various different projects and, and left and come back together and in various iterations. Why stick with Dead Vinyl to find the right match instead of breaking up and creating something new again? Well, um, we, we still kind of considered ourselves a new band at the time. Sure. Uh, and um, one of the things that we really liked about our band, and that is still really a big deal for Dead Vinyl, is like a, well, what we wanted to do was improvise a lot. Like we wanted to be all on such the same page that we could just start improvising during a song or a set and everyone would just kind of go along with it. And that was right. like one of our main goals for the sound. And uh, we've moved away from that a little bit, but we still definitely do that on occasion. Oh, pull it like off. Frisky Disco, we did that all the time. <laughs> yeah. No set win as planned ever, ever, <laughs> ever. But uh, but we leaned into that, and we were like, all right, well, how about we just do that on purpose, and we just make that part of our sound. But and, we're really good. 
<laughs> and obviously we had been watching a lot of like live videos of Led Zeppelin and they would do that with their songs where they would <laughs> exactly. where they would uh, actually have rehearsed uh, new sections for their songs. We just wanted to do that on the fly because that's what it looked like they were doing. <laughs> and so <laughs> felt like. most of the time it was good, not always. But that was what we wanted to keep that alive and we kept trying to bring in singers that could keep up with us uh, in, in an improvised setting. And that was why we, like, uh, I knew that the singer from Sonic Buffalo could do that, so that was why we tried him out first. And sure. then, uh, you know, he we had trouble with him, obviously, after the Led Zeppelin thing, and then tried to bring in some other singers, and it wasn't really the right fit. And we were like, well, we know Hayden can do this, because he does it even when we tell him not to. So let's just bring him in here. <laughs> <laughs> that that makes sense. So now, now Hayden, I'd love to know from your perspective, what was it like for you to, because you had been playing drums for a little bit in Frisky Disco before kind of stepping away from that when you were able to, but what was it like for you to enter into a project, and perhaps this wasn't your first one, but enter into a project fully as the as the lead singer, not, not constrained to another instrument, but really being able to step right in and step right to the front? Uh, well, I had done some... So I, I was the lead singer for the Guppies. That was okay. like my only thing there. So I had some experience being like a frontman, and and like as far as frontmen go, when I got the chance to step out from behind the kit in the Frisky Disco, and then thus into Dead Vinyl, I was into way different stuff than I was into back when I was a kid in the Guppies, you know. But like sure, I took a yeah. couple of those notes, and I you know like when we, the Frisky Disco. It was, uh, it was, I was, okay, listen, I was very young, I'll say that, I was very young, and it was a very look-at-me sort of kind of thing, but that's what I've been to some of those shows, I remember. I mean, that's what Tyler loved, that's why he wanted me out from behind that kit in the first place, he was like, well, because you make people look at us, and I was like, okay, well, if, you know, if I gotta put on a little clown makeup and do my thing, and, you know, (laughs) swing a microphone around and bust my lip, that's what's gonna fucking get paid that night, you know? Like, right. Our first, like, five shows after we got him off of a drum kit, he broke a mic stand every show. Every show. <laughs> every show We got a reputation as a venu- <laughs> at the venues in Fort Worth as a band that will break your equipment. Break, yeah, yeah. Oh, and no. we were like, look, dude, uh, <laughs> I'll buy my own mic stand. And then I'd break my own mic stand of and be like, can I borrow one? <laughs> <laughs> I broke it, dude. I love yeah, it. No, I, I love got it. really well, into it. It's such showmanship, right? To be to be in the front. I mean, you think about some of the great frontmen, like you know, you think about. I, I consistently think about Freddie Mercury every single time when I think of top top frontmen, right? And that's it's a performance. And you think of like Panic at the Disco is another example, right? Of like fantastic frontmen. I mean, there's uh, just Brandon so Urie, mm. Mick Jagger as well. You know, I mean, just so many great front men and it's consistently a performance well you and have this extra job think, you know like you've got to right, like get out and you've got to like make the crowd look at you so that they see the band and how good they are that's right. kind of like i'm just a spokesman for the band you know i'm like check them out they're super good they're playing songs behind me <laughs> you know? like that's what it feels like yeah. sometimes i'm like yeah. i'm just a fool just but kind of out there with a microphone trying to be like look at these guys like they're so good right. like they're so good but it you know and it's it's the ability to connect with the audience and say 
we are inviting you tonight to engage with us, to welcome us in, and it's going to rock your mind. And this is what we're going to do. And I think about, I, I interviewed, I don't know if anybody is familiar with the old Christian rock band Bleach, but yes. I oh, speaking to Davey Basinger on one of the previous episodes, and I was talking about the first concert I went to that was at a club, Bleach headlined, and what made me a fan of the band was Davey ran on stage, started screaming at the top of his lungs, jumped into this crowd that wasn't sure that if they were going to crowd surf him or not, and didn't care, balls oh, out, just yeah. right into just the crowd. Taken face down. Yeah. They accepted him and then pushed him back, and that was I was like all in. I was like, I don't know what this like live music thing is, but I'm in. I feel like I'm in church right now, like, yeah. like oh, wow, rock church. This audience. is fantastic. Totally. Yeah. Nice. So... So now going from that, and we've got we've got most of the band together. Parker, talk to me about you know we talked a little bit earlier about how you were brought in and you you're bringing this consistency to the drums. You're bringing a, a ability to ground the band from a business standpoint, and then also from a uh, from a foundational standpoint because you do need that solid rhythm section, and you need someone that's going to be as reliable and committed as everybody else in the group and then bringing that business acumen. So now you can start telling other people what a great fucking band you are and why they should listen and take notice. So now bringing all that passion in, I'd love like your perspective on that part of the journey. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. The guys are just all, all energy, you know, and energy has to be harnessed the right way and it can do like really crazy things, you know? So, right. I was just, um, you know, when animal spirit was ending and, and like Sam and Andrew, they decided to, you know, be a family and they were like, we, we want to really dedicate ourselves to this and we don't really want to tour that much. And so at that point, you know, going back to my upbringing, like I had already decided I was gonna, you know, go as far as I possibly could and so I just saw that all this potential energy was with the with with the guys and I thought man you know somebody needs to jump on this and and let's see what happens um so yeah. that was that was just something that I was always really you know I had to pitch it to him a few times yeah he asked me a few <laughs> times because Zach played bass for a long time with Animal Spirit too well, so someone he was always I was like you know Dead energy. Vinyl needs yeah. a drummer and yeah. <laughs> we could really use your business sense and we don't know what we're right. doing so it'd be really cool <laughs> he was like I don't know and I also too yeah. you know I was with Animal Spirit everything was really supposed to be very like precise and very on point and we were playing the same exact set every single time, you know, because it was a product that we had packaged and delivered, and that's what I wanted to be every single time is this consistent product. And then getting with the guys and them going, like, there's, like, literally nothing you could do wrong. You know, we're just going to figure out how to, to make it work, you know, right. or we can go and we can jam for 10 minutes on this extra part. That, to me, was a very liberating thing to step into as well, just to kind of, and it, it kind of re-energized me creativity, like, creatively. And so I just wanted to also run with it as far as I could because I then had like a lot of faith in the fact that these guys put on a good show, had energy, had the dedication, you know, and we were all like really hungry. And so, yeah, you know, they, Still in a way, are. in a way I brought that business sense, but in a way they also like saved me because I don't know really where I would have gone without them being this kind of yeah. place to, to dedicate all and their I energy think, to. And this is a great opportunity where, you know, you, you, you hear about all the time within work, whether it's the corporate world or whether it's life where people are like, you've got to use your network. You've got to use your network to get ahead. And so thinking about the fact that you know, you've got this network of musicians that you've been hanging out with and playing with, and y'all have been dabbling in and out of each other's groups for a while, for eight years, you know, or four years or six years or whatever at the 
at this point. And then to now be like, hey, man, this is the next thing. And I think in the moment, right, you may not know like, well, this may be a one or two year thing. This may be a 10 year project. I'm not sure. But then you're like, but this is what's going to elevate. This is another opportunity for me to elevate my game and help bring what I've learned and share it with other people. And then we're continuing to grow our skill set. And then you get in, you're like, okay, all right, there's a lot of fantastic fucking energy here. Let's figure out, I'm going to hard, I'm going to drive, I'm going to be, you know, the driver of this, of this bobsled. And I'm going to let these guys do what they do best. And that's just get it right over the finish line. And then we're going to kick some ass. So now let's talk about, let's talk about the dead vinyl music. So we've teed it up really well. Let's talk about the first couple of records. Let's talk about the self-titled album as well as Goldmine. And I'd really love to know what were the different approaches to the records and how did the sound evolve from one to the next? So Hayden, let's let's start with you. Let's get your perspective. Uh, the biggest thing was Parker. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest difference. The biggest difference. Because for the first self-titled EP was uh, Val on drums. And like we said, like at a, we had a trouble making consistency i guess was the thing like ah, man that was it was experience. it was a rough experience recording and it was and mm. with parker on the second record it was like butter you know yeah. it was, it was, everything was well oiled it was like a well-oiled machine we went into that studio the second time mm -hmm. um the first time we did um palmyra studios which is out in Palmyra, Texas, and it was just like a big ordeal, and it seemed like yeah. nobody wanted to be there. It just kind of seemed like it was all, it was like going to class, you know? It was going to sure. like It was like school. pulling teeth. It was like pulling teeth, Man, it was. Like we were out there, like, uh, dang, what was I trying to say? Like we had a pretty good time out there, mostly it was Val, like. Yeah, I, know, I The mean, place was so cool, like the studio was amazing and beautiful and just like, I don't but know. nobody had reason, a work attitude and yeah. it felt like a vacation and it wasn't trying to get done. But then, again, the second record, we go in with Parker and Parker has all this insight on how to go in. So six months before we even go into the studio, Parker's like, all right, let's pick the songs. Let's know what we're doing when we yeah. go in there. Let's have them down pat. Yeah. We're paying for this time, you know, because he's got the money mind. You know, he's yeah, like, let's, right. we're paying for this time, so let's have it down pat. And by the time we got to the studio, I mean, it was just like butter. It was like, this is this Pretty is more easy, fun. Yeah. I'm having more fun because I know the part better. Like, we're yeah, just I'm all right. having way more fun just recording the record now. Mm -hmm. We all really our, wanted to be there. Yeah, yeah. First we all time wanted to be there. Audio styles, too. Audio so styles we before we did the second record. Excited about that. Taylor Tatch, who is just a saint and has done our recordings ever yeah. since, basically. Mm -hmm. He definitely made that a lot easier than it would have been. I feel like he, yeah, he, yeah. he knows the right what he's producer doing. producer definitely helps. <laughs> and that was just another connection that we had made over time. You know, that who's to say that that first album might have been different if, if you know Taylor Tatch from sure. Audio Styles had done it? But that was just another another thing that stacked onto you know the many failed attempts at right. you know, what got us to here. But I definitely sure. did demand a level of like professionalism from the guys because right. I was, you know, I'd already I'd come from something that was so precise, but I also didn't want to mess around and waste my time with something that right. wasn't going to produce results. So I think you yeah. know, you just gotta. A thing I've learned with the guys is that if you challenge them to do it, they'll step up to the occasion. So <laughs> it's kind of like trying. Say they can't. If you tease, yeah. if and you tease them and push them, you know, then they'll actually they'll show up and stuff. But if you just kind of hang out it's not as productive <laughs> I love no, that. Yeah, I, I mean, mean that's, that's the big that's thing true, yeah it's true with anything anything in life you know I mean you think about 
you have to get you have to get to a certain point where you're like, all right, I'm excited about this project. I'm excited about what we're doing. We need to know like what are what's A, B, C, D, and E that we're doing. Let's plan it out. Let's get it done. And that way, if you get all of the nitty gritty shit out of the way, then when you get in, you can just sprint all the way through the end of the project because you have zero blockers left in your way. You've already organized them. You've already dealt with them. And now you can just focus on the music, which is what you want to focus on in the at the beginning, you know, that's all you want to do, but it's life. And so we've got to have some of this other stuff in the way, you know, and so planning that out accordingly is crucial. And I will say from my own personal opinion, list the music is y'all are also great. I'm a little bit too generous with my praise, but I will say from the first record, I enjoyed it. The second record, I was hyping it. So that's my that's my opinion. I enjoyed it, but now I'm like, holy fucking shit, you need to hear this jam. Uh, Dead in the Water gets me goosebumps every <laughs> fucking time, and I love it. And there's just something about all of it pairing together that I can't, like, it just, I, I got to get up and I got to, like, blast it no matter what. No matter where I am, no matter what's going on, my kids dance to it. It's great. You know, so I mean, <laughs> Teaching them right. It's great. Fun. Right. So cool. I think my son's gonna plink it out on the on the keys one oh, of these days. Oh, perfect. By awesome. the way, man, he's got a gig. If keys, you, if you can, right? Yeah. <laughs> we need a keyboard he's got player. Got a gig if he wants a gig. <laughs> He'll be ready in about three years, so I'll work on it. All right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool. yeah. <laughs> but now, but I, but now, I really, I'm curious about because there's been so many. There's been. I would say I can definitely see a renewed vigor um, from from that from from that record to now. So that's what, three years? Yeah, so three years from that period of time. So much coverage, right? In local papers, local press, you see lots of great feedback for your music and the stylings of what y'all are putting together. You've got such a tremendous couple of singles that you've dropped as well, such as Black Smoke, which the video was listed as one of the top videos of the year in uh, Fourth Weekly, I believe. Uh, yes. And so like, that's tremendous. Like you're making waves and you're moving on and you're, you're, you're making people pay attention and it's this grounded, mature sound that just allows everybody to shine. It's like, you can hear the individual elements really well, but then it blends like a perfect rock stew that is so comforting and familiar yet unique and radiant in its own way. So I'm curious <laughs> about Can I get that in writing? Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've got it. You've got it recorded. You can just write down the verbatim. Okay, it's cool. fine. Yeah, yeah. I'll just I'll just play Booker's this. It. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm con whenever I think about music, it's either it's either food or it's wine. It's one of the two because those are very sensory things for me, and that's how I think about music. But I'm curious. Once you have the record and then you start working on your current stuff, your current album where you've dropped those two singles, how do you continue to challenge yourself to be better? Like you've got a solid foundation that you've built upon. And now how do you continue to challenge yourselves to be great? Who's that? Anybody can try that. <laughs> Parker, why don't you take this one? Yeah, in? I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's been in a, a multifaceted kind of ways, definitely. Um, the songs well, that... Go ahead. I, was, I think I was about to say the same thing you were, which yeah. is that those the, the songs that we recorded and haven't released all of them yet, but No Fun and Black Smoke, 
we had Nolan Ryan Robertson from the Hendersons helping us with the production mm-hmm. and that made a huge difference and so right. as soon as that was done I think the goalpost was pretty clear okay now we have to be able to do that without him yeah like right, <laughs> yeah right now that and, has to uh, be well technically he him. was only there actually for the first half like the first three of those songs so no fun and black smoke are two of them and then there was one other one that he helped us with and then the other three we actually wrote and recorded in a different session without mm-hmm. his pre-production. Yeah. So that was kind of us being like, okay, now we're going to try to do this on our own. Because mm-hmm. he obviously introduced a whole lot of precision and he does a lot of layering. So he, with his pre-production, he was like, you know, okay, so we're going to record the song and then we're going to take it apart and be like, this needs to be different. We should do this here and we're going to layer some yeah. stuff on top and see how it sounds. And so we did that and that kind of brought our songwriting to the, you know, to the next level, obviously, because we can tell what it needed and so we continued to do that with our next songs and uh i feel like we're we take it really slow now with our songs as far as like recording and writing and rewriting and thinking about every single little part you know yeah Mm -hmm. yeah we've definitely started to write a lot more and then we've we've been willing to put stuff down that we were like well this isn't really going as where we wanted it to and just we're starting to crank out more so and then living together we really became a, a stronger like writing unit in general we got a piano in the house and that really changed the way that everybody approached music and <laughs> oh, songwriting in general in yeah. general because when you write songs on a guitar it's way different than when you write songs on a piano so right. just we just decided to really um expand beyond playing with nolan made us realize that instead of recording just you know two guitars and and a bass and singing you know a regular rock setup was was not what we were just limited to and we could expand it from there so then from there we had to match what we were trying to write and record be able to perform but then also that took us in a lot of different directions that we weren't expecting and we've just been kind of spending a lot of time exploring all of those as well i love it well as we're as we're ramping up towards the end of this fantastic fantastic retrospective and peak of what's to come i've got a i've got a couple questions left for y'all and the first one's easy so if people want to follow you and see what you're up to what's the best way for them to do that uh we're most active on our instagram it's a dead vinyl tx uh we have a youtube channel that we keep pretty active right now too everything's dead vinyl tx uh all the mediums we have the the late stream which is a a every a recurring weekly kind of um during quarantine, segment. we started like a, a late stream that's like uh, just something to keep us busy and active during the quarantine. And so we've mm-hmm. got up to 28 episodes that yeah. we'll be putting on our YouTube. So if you're listening and you want to check out what it's about, check out our YouTube. That's that's one of the best places to like get a visual and auditory version of it. But then also, you know, Instagram's our most active yeah. like social media. That was, the, that was the other thing that changed is when quarantine happened, we were really focused on being a road band and we decided that we wanted to just tour the world and, and, yeah, and be on the, the road vibe. as much as possible. And that was our main, you know, mode of apparatus. And then we decided that once COVID hit, we needed something to kind of keep keep our, our sanity and some, some, <laughs> some regular routine. There, you know, yeah. And we were so used to playing all the time, we just decided to play weekly and, and stream it because it, it gave us some kind of goal every single week to have to come Kept to practice, sharp. have to work on something, have to put in that effort that we could have just slacked off with. And so that's yeah. having to troubleshoot everything from like live audio recording to lighting to visuals and stuff. That's been what we've been really studying the last couple months. And yeah, it helped evolve the band in a way that we never really imagined either. <laughs> it's it's really cool. It's been really interesting and cool to see. I know at least the the 
handful of people that have been on the show that I've gotten close to and see the unique ways in which they're finding a way to perform in quarantine is fascinating. And the live stream that y'all do with the different ideas is really cool. And I absolutely love it. An example that I give when people are like, what are cool things that people are doing artist wise in quarantine? You know, I talk about Dead Vinyl and Late Stream and then Tony Luca, who is on uh, volume two of, of After the Encore, he, so he's been doing this for 20 years his solo career and he had a whole 2020 retrospective tour plan where he's going to play all of his old albums um, and each show was a different album and he couldn't do that obviously so he did a live stream like y'all did where he played through all of his catalog and he got to a point where like oh we're still in quarantine um and then he had to think of ways to do something different it was very similar it's similar but different than what y'all are doing where he's taking requests and different stuff and then he's he's ended it for now but it's 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 so cool because I think that's a great way to keep your skills sharp, keep your songs top of mind, and also think of like, how can we put our own spin on songs and groups that we love and bring that like dead vinylness to the kinks, dead vinylness to the Beatles, right? You know, I absolutely love that. It's so cool. All right. Last question I've got for y'all is if there is somebody that's listening who wants to break into the music industry, what is a piece of advice or a mantra that you've that you have for yourself that you would like to impart on them. And uh, Zach, we'll start with you. Uh, <laughs> um, I would say, uh, well, I definitely have a tendency to be this person, but I guess I would say uh, it's important to make sure that you still find a way to have fun with it. Uh, like when it comes to breaking into the music industry, it takes a lot of work. And a lot of times it's easy to think of it as work. And we even refer to it as that sometimes, which a lot of times. I kind of hate <laughs> because I still have a lot of fun playing, but I also have a tendency to be the guy who's like, hey, we have to do this thing in like 10 minutes. Everybody stop doing whatever it is that you're doing right now. And stop let's, having fun. Let's figure out how to make this good like it's supposed to be. <laughs> and, uh, and it's important to have a very healthy balance of those attitudes, I think, to really uh, make things work effectively. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Parker? <laughs> Um, friends will get you further than almost anything uh, and the more friends the better because playing music with your friends is great um, and if you're going to you're only going to go as far as you put in the effort to and everybody that you are afraid of or you think might be better than you is probably thinking the same thing so just go talk to them I love that and Hayden? awesome uh I was actually talking to these guys earlier about this. Um, when you're really young, you know, you have these very grandiose uh, visions of being on SNL and, you know, being on Late Night or something like that. The real, uh, the real gold in this industry is, is your friends and getting to make music and getting to have fun and getting to tour and, like, the adventures that you have. Uh, uh, whether it's one person or 1,000 people in the crowd if you still have the same show, like then you're still having fun and it's still worth it. No matter how much money you ever make on it. I know we're all trying to make a dime on it, but like <laughs> if you're still having fun, whether it's one or 1000 people in the crowd, like you're, you're just still doing it for the right reasons and stick it, stick with it and go yeah. with it. Totally. <laughs> I love it. I heard someone say uh, not too long ago that no one will ever care as much about your art as you do. So make them care. <laughs> yeah, that's totally. it exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely love that. Well, this is After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. You've been listening to Dead Vinyl, and now here to play us out one more time. 
is the fantastic, the amazing, the stupendous Dead Vinyl. Just as I was Looking out my window Watching the storm Blow like the bellows Never had a reason to give you the wrong vibe Everybody needs a little time Why don't you love me? Come on and love me
This podcast is powered by Roberts Media Group, your resource for podcast development. For more programming and advertising opportunities, please visit us at robertsmediagroup.co.